This podcast comes to you from the Plant Biosecurity Research Initiative. For more information on PBRI, visit www.pbri.com.au. On this podcast, we delve into the genetics of the fall armyworm and learn a whole lot more than we did before. Hello, my name is Chris Brown. Of course, we've been told that fall armyworm was first detected in Australia in early 2020. But could it have arrived a lot earlier and we just didn't know it? Recent genomic work on fall armyworm populations has cast doubt on the widely held belief that the moth or caterpillar somehow made its way to Africa from the Americas and then munched its way across India into Asia and then onto Australia. My guest today is Senior Research Scientist with CSIRO Health and Biosecurity, Dr. Wee Tech Tay. Tech, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge about this pest. Can you tell me first of all about the recent work that you and your colleagues have been doing on fall armyworm? Okay, thank you, Chris. Right, so we have been looking at global populations of these fall armyworms to try to understand the spread pattern so is it a west to east spread or what, whether there are multiple introductions? So looking at the frequencies, and these are questions that are important to Australia's biosecurity preparedness because we need to understand the pathway of this pest, how it comes into Australia, so that in the future we can perhaps better prepare for additional introductions of this pest coming from other parts of the Americas or other related species that might be coming into Australia and we can understand whether they are biosecurity weaknesses. So that's the work that we've been trying to do to help to better prepare Australia. And the genomic work that we're doing is to do whole genome sequencing and then select the useful genetic markers to try to interpret how these pests are is spreading across the world. How do you actually do that? How do you tell in a laboratory where and how something has uh, arrived here? So the way we do it is we need to compare the invasive populations. So populations from, for example, in our study, we have populations from Benin, which is West Africa, close to the original places where it was first reported in Nigeria and Sao Tome, so West Africa. We have also populations from East Africa, from Uganda, from Malawi, Tanzania, representing more or less the whole sub-Sahara African continent, where populations from India and from southern China, from the Yunnan province. And we're comparing these populations and their genetic signature back to the populations that are present in South America. So we have populations from Peru and Brazil. And then from Central America, we have Mexican populations. From the Caribbeans, we have populations from Guadalupe, Puerto Rico, and Guiana, northern part of South America, the southern part of North America, which is Mississippi and Florida. So we can compare this genetic signature of the invasive populations back to the populations that are representing the, the native range. And then the populations that show the similar genetic signature to the native range is most likely where they came from. They're like related in a family, I suppose. Pretty much similar to that because the population genetic signature of the moth in the native range, we expect that they should have 
fairly unique signature because the populations, even though they do migrate, but overall there there will be barriers such as seas and and different climatic zone that they may not be able to establish so quickly or they are maintaining their own population. So over time, they develop specific signature. And if they're being transposed or introduced into other regions of the world, they might carry this type of signature with them. And by comparing them, we can tell where they come from. So have you been able to compare the moths that are in Australia with other moths around the world to get an idea of where they came from? Our work currently is trying to work out where the Australian populations originated from. The current scientific community has accepted that the moth has originated from West Africa and slowly or rapidly move across to the rest of the world. So went from West Africa across to the, the rest of Sub-Saharan Africa into Middle East, then onto the Indian subcontinent, and then across to Southeast Asia and into China. And from there, it sort of exploded as well and moved southwards into Southeast Asia, into Indonesia and then across Australia. That's a hypothesis. That's how we understood it to be. The majority of the scientific community had accepted that. However, we know that there are multiple introductions. In fact, studies based on genomic evidence, looking at Yunnan province population from China, identify that there were evidence of multiple introductions into China. And the gene flow, the directionality of the gene flow of the movement of the gene was in fact from the Yunnan province populations into Africa. So that's just the opposite of what the current thinking is. That's right. But not only that, the African populations, for example, between Malawi and Uganda populations, they have very different genetic signatures, suggesting that the Malawi and the Tanzanian four army one populations were separately introduced. Now, We then look at the literature that have been published in Vietnam, for example. They have already reported the four army worm presence in their agricultural system since 2008. Furthermore, survey from Uganda farmers have also reported that they have identified or they have noticed damage symptom on crops, on maize, for example, back in 2014, at least. So we know that there's actually many anecdotal evidence of the moth being present in different parts of the world at different times. In fact, one of the earlier reports was in the 1960s, I believe, where the four army worm was detected present in agricultural system in Israel. So we know that across the world, this pest has been introduced many times at different times at different places. So presumably, Tech, then, if there have been these earlier incursions in uh, those different parts of Africa and Israel Mm. and in Vietnam, presumably they weren't massive outbreaks because obviously now it's a major, major concern around the world. That's right. It is difficult to say because the study that was reported in Vietnam in 2008, in fact, they identified the, the caterpillar on lawn, turf lawn, and it was first identified as a minor outbreak. So it infested a turf business uh, in 2008 in March as minor outbreak, but by April and May, it was rated as significant damage. 
So there obviously have been populations building up and munching through the grasses. And then it subsided a bit by June. And then by the time when the moth was supposed to be in Southeast Asia, in Myanmar, in Cambodia, and in Vietnam, the researchers had gone out to survey for the four army worm. They were seeing it everywhere throughout the length of the country. So it begs the questions of whether the outbreak was there, but uh. the population was obviously building up. And then whether the subsequent outbreak that we're currently facing is due to certain climatic factors, we don't really know yet. It could be the case. So let's get to what's happening in Australia. Do you know which strain we have here in Australia? So the rice and the corn strain, the way they are being identified, so they have no morphological differences. So the adult morph or the caterpillar just look identical. Based on the characters that we use to identify them, they are identical. So the only way to be able to identify them is based on genetic markers. The majority of the populations that we have identified is the rice, mitochondrial DNA, suggesting that the mother is rice, at least. And there are a few corn mitochondrial DNA that is also being detected. So suggesting that both rice and corn are present in Australia. But we know that the detoxification of the plant enzyme and chemicals that the caterpillar eats is not going to be on the mitochondrial DNA. It's going to be on the genome, in, on the nuclear genome. And when you look at the nuclear genome, it will tell us whether they're hybrids or not. We are in the process of doing that, so we do not know yet. But studies from Africa, from China, have found that, in fact, the populations that are spreading through our world, Africa and Asia and Southeast Asia, are likely to be hybrids, the corn and rice hybrid. So that might explain why, if it's a rice strain, it seems like it's acting like a corn strain because it's the host plant that it most favours here in Australia at the moment is sweet corn or corn and sorghum. Yeah, so, so so this is a pest that is feeding on monocot predominantly, so grasses and, and sugarcane and, and rice and corn, for example, the grains. So what is interesting is that the pests in their native range will eat anything, really. You do find them feeding on grasses or on, on corn, but if you were being presented with grass or corn, you probably eat corn because it's sweeter, it's got more nutrients. So that's probably part of the reason why we're seeing that it attacks predominantly corn because it is the most nutritious host crops out there for the pests. They develop faster. So that could be the case. But I guess when they're actually being given different host crops, for example, in India, they look at whether the four army one would feed on ginger as well. And despite the fact that they're supposed to be rice mitochondrial DNA genome is still feed on ginger. In China, they have been reporting that significant amount of sugarcane had been damaged, likewise in India as well. So this pest will eat different crops. It's just because in China, for example, it is the second largest corn producer in the world. So a lot of the agricultural crop would be maize and the damage on maize is huge, likewise in Africa as well. So that's probably what's been reported, but out there we would be finding the, the pests attacking other crop as well. And that's why the research is needed to help us to better understand the biology of the pests that we're facing. In the US, the fall army worm 
is overcoming the BT cotton. But it doesn't seem to be the case here in Australia. What do you put that down to? So in the US and in Brazil, for example, we know that there are resistant evolving to the VIP3 proteins, so which is a vegetative protein for controlling Lepidopteran pests. So that is occurring in some populations, some places in the Americas. Whether there are multiple introductions of this pest coming into the rest of the world, into our region, carrying a resistant gene or not, we currently do not know. However, if there were individuals somehow originating from populations that are carrying the VIP resistant gene, it could potentially come into Australia. If not now, it could be subsequent migration because we are expecting ongoing migration into coming into Australia over time. And if that were the case, the four armyworm is not impacted by Cry1AC and 2AB significantly. And if it does carry a resistance to VIP3, then it could have the potential to feed on cotton, what is grown in Australia, the three toxin genes, and it could potentially select for resistance that way. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you make in that it's bringing its own resistance with it, not only to BT cotton, potentially, potentially we must say that, but also to other chemistries as well, which must make it doubly difficult to really understand how it can be controlled. Yes, the world has faced a lot of different type of invasive insects, from white flies to helicoverpa, the old world cotton bollworms into South America, and now the four armyworms from the Americas across to the rest of the world. Many of these examples have shown that the insects often come with pre-selected resistant genes, for example. So in the four armyworms, for example, using whole genome sequencing, we have already demonstrated that the populations in Africa and in China all have the organophosphate resistance genes with them. So they have already these resistant genes present in these populations. And given the short time frame that they have only been in this part of the world, potentially 10 years only, for the resistance to then arise in such a short time frame is unlikely. So it's most likely that it was probably brought in to our part of the world from the native populations because in the native populations they've been selected for many many generations for specific adaptation to chemicals that have been used to control them so it's likely that they are bringing with them genes of biosecurity importance tech i just wanted to understand clearly where your work is up to have you been able to identify any of these issues in the australian samples that you've got in terms of uh, resistance buildup and so on we are currently getting samples from southeast asia because we believe that in southeast asia it is likely there are multiple introductions of the four armyworms from the native region into our part of the world and what are the populations moving in. So we're collecting populations from Myanmar, from Vietnam, from Cambodia, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Papua New Guinea and Australia to compare their genomes. So we're currently doing that. So the genome sequencing is being prepared. Once we get all our samples, we can run them and we can do an analysis. So that's where the genome analysis is up to at the moment. And from there, we will be able to map it back to our earlier study to look at 
what genetic signature they have and compare that to the different part of the world to see whether they came from China or whether they came from potentially Vietnam or Africa and which part of the new world they come from. So that's one part of the work. The other part of the work involved bioassay. We're rearing the pests in our lab and then challenging them with different insecticide chemicals as well as BT toxins. So that work is currently underway at the moment and we're doing multiple replicates to get a good statistical confidence for our work. So that's where we are at the moment. But this work is ex anticipated to end within the year. So we have a 12-month project and we will be reporting that work soon. Okay. It will be really, really interesting to talk to you again when you've got the results of that year-long research so that we can maybe nail down some of these imponderables that we have at the moment. Yes, that's the role of, of our, our business unit is to, at CSR is to understand the global invasive pests, for example, be it human pathogens or be it agricultural pests and diseases for protecting plant health and our, our agricultural commodity to be able to understand their pathway and their impact and then identify the weaknesses. And we can only do this through global collaboration. So we have great collaborators from Africa, from Brazil especially, and from France, partners in INRAE. We have been able to collaborate with them to better understand what Australia might be facing and that way to help bolster our security preparedness. Dr. Wee Tech Tay. Tech is a senior research scientist with CSIRO Health and Biosecurity. And my name is Chris Brown. This podcast was brought to you by the Plant Biosecurity Research Initiative, an initiative of the following R&D organisations. Cotton Research and Development Corporation, Forest and Wood Products Australia, Grains Research and Development Corporation, Horticulture Innovation Australia, Agrifutures Australia, Sugar Research Australia, Wine Australia and Plant Health Australia.